0: ...sometimes are our neighbors. And then today, we're looking at verses 16, excuse me, verses 15 and 16, and it's really simple as Paul is talking, not just addressing individuals, individuals but he's addressing community of people, people collectively, and essentially what Paul is saying in these, in these two verses is it's not about you, it's about others. And so if, if just even at the beginning of my sermon, I can say, hey, if you guys want to know what I'm going to talk about, if you don't pay attention for the next 28 minutes, if you fall asleep like some of you do right, right around over there... Um, can see you. No, I'm just joking. It's not about me. It's about others. It's not about you. It's about others. If you want, what did he talk about? That, that would be it. And so I want to read the verse and ask the Holy Spirit to guide our time. So verses 15 and 16. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Holy Spirit. And without the Holy Spirit, it is impossible as far as to live the life of Christ. And to follow Jesus. And so we thank you that you, by the Holy Spirit, illuminate the word, that we see it to be truthful, to have authority in our life, that you stir up our affections in love, Lord, understanding that it is your love that has been poured into our hearts, that we can love others, that we can love our enemies. And even today, we can realize that, th- that self-love is not what you've called us to, but it's loving you, God, and then loving our neighbor. And so Lord, help us to see that as we engage emotionally, as we engage with tasks and with our hands, and as we have an honest assessment of who we are, Lord, in light of you being the standard. We thank you, we praise you, in Jesus' name, amen. Um, It is football season in in our family, and I'm sure in your family too, and I know not all of you guys are sports fans. You should be, but um, it's just like when, like football season is a national holiday for my family. It lasts from August to January. And we are all about celebrating it. And anything that I can do to get my kids engaged, I try to. And not just because, like, I want my kids to play football and maybe go to ASU and, I don't know, get rich. I don't know. That's not, that's, that's not it. But mainly, honestly, when you, when you have kids, you, you want your kids to be passionate about anything. Anything. And so if it's football, it's good. And so my, my kids get into all the different teams. And I don't just, like, say you have to be ASU fans. Um, the other day, uh, one of my sons said he was an Oregon Duck fan now. Right? And I was like, that's fine. And so if you guys are looking to host anybody, that's totally fine because uh, he needs a place to live. <laughs> and, and so there was this movie that, that came out. It was a football movie. Uh, um, it's uh, it's uh, The Game Stands Tall is the name of the movie. And it's supposed to be like the next Remember the Titans. Not even close, but a good movie, right? And I'm thought, well, you know what we'll bring the whole family. Like, well, we haven't gone to the movie theaters as a family, and we'll, we'll go watch it. And I just one, I want, I love as a dad seeing how my kids react to things. And this story is based off true events of a particular school um, in Northern California that won like 13 years of like n- not losing, 13 years of not losing, right, which is incredible. And and I knew it because I knew the school, I knew people that went to the school, and I and I was like, this would be fun. And I knew the values that this coach that the, the movie was surrounded around. I knew the values that he taught, and I thought this would be good. So we get into the movie theater, and I forgot that in the movie, because this happened in real life, one of their star players was murdered the day before he was supposed to go to college and play football at University of Oregon. And so they show the scene where the, the guy gets shot, and I'm thinking, ooh, three and a half year old, five and a half year old, probably should check this out, right? And it's really sad. And they're at the funeral, and it's really sad. And so I look back, and I look over, and my wife, she's crying, of course, right? And then next to her is my youngest son, and he's clueless. He doesn't know what's going on because he's still trying to figure out how the heck to get a seat to go down, right? Because like, he's like like in a hot dog bun the whole time. He didn't know anything that's happened in the movies. The whole time, he kept going, is it over yet? Is it, It's like, they should have let you in for free. And then— and then my oldest son is to the right of me and he's bawling. He is bawling. And I mean, it's just not like, you know, just wiping his face with his shirt. And I and I just said, man, are you okay? And he's just so sad. And and so I'm thinking, wow. And so I don't want to engage right there, but I I like that because I want to see him react. And what, what makes what's making you react? What are you feeling? Things like that, right? And so we get home and we, we play for a while and he's asking all these questions about the movies and, and, and like, you know, he wants to go to that high school now and I'm like, hey, you're not. <laughs> uh, that night, we went to bed and the the night, I hear just screaming, dad, dad, dad. And so I get up and I run into his room and he's on his talk bum and I said, what's wrong? And he goes, I'm thinking about that, that kid's parents. He's dead, right? And I said, yes, he's dead. What about his mom? What about his brother? What about his dad? What are they going to do? And he's just weeping. It's like 2 o'clock in the morning. And I prayed with him, and I put him in bed, and I thought, I love that. And the reason why I love that is I love it that he could feel for somebody else. I love it that he's at five and a half somehow he can feel for that. And you know what? Going into that movie that day, Noah told me what he wanted. He was telling me what he wanted to be for Halloween. And so we need to get him a costume for that. He was telling me what he wanted for his birthday, which, by the way, is not in, until February. Um, and it was just like, what I need. The rest of the day, nothing. Nothing. There is, there is something of the nature that when you are drawn into somebody else's situation and you can step into their shoes, you begin to think of yourself Less that it's not so much about your needs, it's not so much about what you need to do, not so much about what you need to get done, not, not so much of the, like everything that's happening in your life because somehow you've been able to put yourself in somebody else's shoes that you're able to understand them that you begin to think of yourself less and there's actually more joy in that. Like it's exhausting just imagining what life could be like for you. How much better if these things will happen for you as opposed to being exhausted and pouring yourself out for somebody else. At the very essence of who we are created in the image of God is that we are made for others. Whether you trust in Christ or you follow Jesus or not in this room, you are created in the image of a triune God who by his nature is self-giving. That the Father looks at the Son and gives him and shares love with him for all eternity past and that the Son shares the same love to the Father and the Spirit, and the Spirit begins to manifest that love from the Father of the Spirit, and that you have this this self-giving nature of God never turning in on himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that creation in itself is an overflow of that love that we may be invited to understand that love. And in human rebellion and sin... We separate ourselves from that, but the very heart of the gospel is God himself pursuing, sending his son Jesus in order that we may have life, giving himself to serve us, that we may have an understanding of relationship with God in this love. Well, it makes sense now that Paul, beginning to talk about Christian community, is saying love, at its very essence of a community, is realizing it is not about you. It is about others, That your greatest joy and that your greatest happiness and my greatest joy and my greatest happiness is not going to be about fulfilling my own needs. But somehow by faith, trusting that Jesus will meet my needs, somehow by faith, trusting in the other Christian believers around me, that if I serve people, if I step out in faith, that God's going to carry me. The people of God will carry me, and I can be who God's created in me, someone who gives myself to others. And Paul in these short verses just gives us a picture of what that looks like for us those of us in this room who are followers of Christ. And the first thing that he talks about here is talking about this emotion and how we tether ourselves to others. If you read with me in verse 15, it says this, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. I love that verse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. At first we go, oh, it's easy. Be excited when people are excited, awesome. And then be sad when people are sad, awesome. No, 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 it's far deeper than that. And when it comes to rejoicing with those who rejoice and weeping those who weep, the word that we have is empathy that's happening here. And if you're like me, you're always confused with, what's empathy and what's sympathy? I always get them confused, right? Sympathy is like the lowest form of compassion. It's looking at someone's situation and saying, man, I feel sorry for you. Man, I feel bad for you. I'm sorry that happened. That's Sympathy. Empathy, um, and what many researchers would actually call now is effective empathy, and effective e- empathy is looking at somebody else's situation, understanding it, and imagining yourself in their shoes till so it begins to actually affect your emotions. Think about that. Looking at somebody else's situation, understanding that situation, imagining yourself in their shoes until it begins to affect your own emotions. That means when something good happens to someone that you can rejoice as if it happened to you that you can rejoice with that person. I'm so excited, you guys, whatever it may be. And then when someone is in moments of weakness or suffering or pain, that you can imagine what it's like to be in their shoes. Not pretend, not fake. Imagine, and then weep with those who weep. In fact, I think it's actually easier to weep with those who weep than rejoice with those who rejoice. Right? When it comes to, to weeping, somehow we're wired in some ways to go. When we see a situation and we find ourselves in someone's shoes, that we can weep. Like you, ever, you ever notice how you don't like people and then if you get to know them a little more and you get to know their circumstances and you get to know their situation, you go to the home in which they are raised in and you have a better understanding of that person and then you begin to know that person a little more and so you can't not like them anymore. It kind of bothers you, but like, dang, I can't not like you anymore. Like, think about that to the nth degree that when you sit with people in their situation, and then you begin to feel it. Th- this has been happening to me lately, and me and my wife, um, particularly, just with different people we know and outside of this church and whatever, just when it comes to marriage. You know, we're, we're, we're young, and I'm realizing when I say I'm young anymore, with you guys, I'm with you, but most of you guys are going, 31's not young. Yes, it is. <laughs> it is, Right? And this congregation, that feels old, but when you're 31 and you're with people whose marriages are falling apart, are gone, like you can't help but look at a person who is saying, I still want to be married to this person who doesn't want to be married to me. I I don't know what that's like. My wife absolutely loves me and I love my wife. and And I'm thankful that God has protected us in that way. But man, it's a lot easier for me to weep in that moment because I can only imagine what that's like. When I hear anything about anybody's kids... I can only imagine. I never could until I had kids. I can only imagine. Paul is saying, go even further than that. That when you weep with people, guys, um, you really get in their situation. And and not faking it. I think what we do as Christians sometimes, we try to over-spiritualize the situation instead of letting the rawness of the situation just be what it is. We pray way too quick. We don't pray about anything else throughout our day. But as soon as we ourselves find ourselves being in an uncomfortable situation because the person we're with is losing it and falling out of control, let let me me just pray for you real quick. No, 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 no. Just sit with them. Don't say anything. Don't, Don't bring up a time when you remembered when you used to cry like that. Don't bring it up. Like we always talk about in pastoral training, when you go to a hospital visit, don't go in there talking anything about you. It's not about you. It's about them. Don't go, oh, I remember what it was like when I was in the hospital. You're not in the hospital right now, right? It's being with people. When I, and I'm not saying don't pray. I'm just saying what we do is this. When we're in a moment with people, because it's uncomfortable for us, we want to think about, yeah, but you remember Romans eight twenty eight? 28? Work, God's working this out for the good as there's like beeping noises from the hospital machine, weeping and tears. Listen, I'm all about God's word. That may not be just the moment to throw that little Romans eight twenty eight pill. He's working it out. Right now, it doesn't feel like it, all right? Just be with people there. You know what it's like? It's like when Jesus is with the woman who's caught in the act of adultery. She's caught. And these men bring her to Jesus, and they're like, you know what? Deuteronomy says we've got to stone her. What do you say? And you know what Jesus does? It says that he he kneels next to this woman who's on the ground. He kneels next to this woman, and he starts writing in the sand, right? Meaningless things. And and plenty of writers have said, what is he writing? What do you think he was? Who cares? It doesn't tell us. What we do know is this woman's weeping, and Jesus is right next to her. Before he says, go and send no more before he gives her opportunity to follow him, he's just with her. That's what Paul is saying. We have to be with people and imagine what it would be like for us. And sometimes people don't need you to say anything other than, I don't understand, but I'm here with you. Weep with those who weep. I think that's a little easier for us sometimes, though. Rejoice with those who rejoice. That's harder, right? we don't rejoice with people. We think we do. Oh, I'm happy for you. When really you're like, no, I am not. Right? Like, I wanted that. Right? We, we, we don't do that. Like, you don't see people really tethering themselves to somebody else. Like, when's the last time you saw our bumper sticker that said, my friend's kid was student of the month? Right? No. You don't have it. And then like the subtitle was like, my kid just didn't make it. Right? It's like, Like, never. You don't see that bumper sticker. We don't rejoice with those who rejoice. When we rejoice with people, it's usually we can rejoice because we've already had it. Whatever it is they got, we're like, ah, took you that long, huh? I'm happy for you, right? In this very condescending way, or at best, the way this plays out is when, um, and especially in a young congregation like ours, is when you're the first kind of people in your friend group to get married. As soon as a person gets married, what does he want? All of his friends to get married as fast as possible. It's like, hey man, you should um, start dating my wife's best friend. She has a boyfriend, bro. It doesn't matter, right? I'll get them to break up. You guys, they're already best friends. You can marry her. We'll be best friends forever. I'll be so happy for you. When really what you're saying is, I will be happy for me, right? It's me. I wanted a couple friends. It's not about people. Rejoicing with those who rejoice is hard. You know why it's hard? Because what if the people who you're supposed to rejoice with are, the, are getting the things that you wanted and didn't get? And here's how I said this play that played out in my eight years of being in ministry. And this is hard. A couple who loves God, who's doing everything God's wanted them to do, they so desperately want to be able to bear a child biologically, and they have not been able to. And they're in a friend group, and there's this couple who's like, you won't believe it! we're pregnant again. We were doing absolutely nothing for this. Well, not absolutely nothing, but <laughs> we, 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 we were almost doing absolutely nothing for this to happen, and God just keeps giving us babies, right? And you know, in that moment, honestly, that hurts, and it's okay, and it's okay. But can you rejoice with him then? When, when the promotion is there and then people in your organization, people in your company, they're going forward and maybe there's empirical evidence that you are better than everybody else and then that person gets the job, right? And he's like, I'm excited, I got the job, let's go get drinks. What do you say? I don't drink. <laughs> right? You're not rejoicing, right? It bothers you. How do you get to that point that you can actually rejoice? It happens all the time. It happens when people get married, when you want to get married. It just happens, and so it's hard. It's willingly saying, Lord, I need, you to, I need you to cultivate in my heart. So we're not born with that. We think we are. We got to get a little deeper and saying, Lord, how can I really be excited for people? I've I seen a great picture of this. I'm just going to tell you, all my illustrations are all about football today. I'm sorry. But there, there, there was this, someone sent me this YouTube, Jim did, and it was, um, You know, it was like the the way they, like, debrief these games and stuff. They have all these old NFL players and coaches, and they sit around on a panel, and they just jock talk. You're awesome. I'm awesome. I'm strong. I'm strong. You're strong. Just jock talk, right? And so this is going around, and Deion Sanders had the NFL record for punt returns for a touchdown. And Deion Sanders is, like, most flamboyant, awesome athlete in football. And then Devin Hester is another guy who's playing now who's not a former player and breaks his record. And and, I, and usually it's like, oh man, you broke my record. I can't believe it, but good job, man. But and inside they're they're like, dang it, you know, people are gonna forget me. Well, one of the guys goes, Hey Devin, I don't think you understand. Dion's prayed for you to break break this whack record. Like he really enjoys you. And then Dion Sanders, and if you know anything about Dion, Dion has been about Dion. Right? De, when Dion played football, I remember being ten years old, listening to him saying, Water covers two thirds of the earth, and I cover the rest. And I was like <laughs> Dang, right? Like <laughs> confident, right? So that's 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 prime time. That was his nickname. I think he gave it to himself. And so <laughs> he looks at Devin Hester and he goes, Man, I am proud of you. And he goes, You broke that record. He goes, but I'm not just proud of you for that. I'm proud of you as a man. He goes, I love you. And they kept going, on. and then he starts crying of, like, who he's become. And then the guy who broke the record is all kind of, like, puffed up. And then he breaks, and he goes, man, I remember being a junior in college when you called me. And I thought, wow, Deion Sanders gave me a call, and I ditched my meeting to go call you back. And he starts crying. And I'm like, it goes from jock talk to discipleship. And, like, the other people in the panel don't even know what to do, and they're hugging each other. <laughs> and it's like, what just happened? man. That was both weeping with, we, with those who weep and rejoicing at the same time that this Deion Sanders, who has always been about Dion, said, no, man, it's not about me, man. It's really about you, and I love you. That's what Paul's talking about. That as a community, when we see the love of Christ, when we experience that it's been poured into our hearts, that we have the freedom, the freedom to be able to make our lives not about ourselves and about our dreams and our passions, but to honestly try to help people, to love people, to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep, amen? Paul, Paul continues here and he says, not just the empathy, but the second point begins, what does it look like and how does the gospel free us to pursue obscurity? Look, 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 look what um, Paul says here, verse 16. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. First he says, live in harmony. That has the ideal of saying, you're, you're unique, but don't let your uniqueness overshadow anybody else, like, don't get rid of yourself, but understand that you play on a team, understanding that you're with other people, and there's a goal here. And so harmony is a, is a musical term, right, that, that when people who sing, they know about this. They have unique voices that come together. And, and if you grew up listening to people sing in groups, when I first read this, I thought about boys and men, right? Because boys and men was always like, everybody had their role. There was like the one guy with the deep voice, and all he ever said was, hey, girl. <laughs> hey, baby. <laughs> or... I'm sorry, baby, right? And it was like, I do got rich, right? Off of just that. That was his part. And everybody else singing. and it was just his harmony. What Paul's saying is, don't just have empathy and emotion, but understand that we're, we're together. And we're together in this for one goal. And that one goal, that word harmony, literally means to have the same mind. That's not sameness. That's not saying that all of us need to vote the same. All of us need to like the same music. All of us need to just do the same thing. No, no, no. It's oneness. And that oneness in itself is centered around the life and love of Christ. That there's diversity for sure, and we should celebrate that. But that oneness is saying, my goal and your goal in in Christ is to promote the name of Jesus. It's to worship Christ. It's to worship him. It's to be in love with him. In fact, in a parallel verse, Paul says this in in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. He says, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit... Any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being a full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Paul's saying, have the same mind. If, there's any, if you have the love, if you have the affection, if you have comfort, what Paul is saying is, if you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus— can can you just think of other people that's more significant than yourself? Can, can you be in harmony and have this same mind? Can you not be haughty, which just means don't be prideful? But but can you can you associate with the lowly? Can you can you just consider somebody else's needs as better than yours or, or more important than yours? Right? And this is not me preaching to you guys, right? This is God preaching to me, and to us. He's saying this, this, this is actually makes you more human. Everything else in our culture is saying, look after number one, absorb yourself, take care of yourself, protect yourself, get as many likes as you can on Facebook, get people around you, you, you. And, it's, and God's saying, that actually takes away from who you were made to be. Paul is saying, if there's any comfort, I mean, he's just saying, if you've tasted and seen that Jesus is good, could you just do this? Could you, could, could you put other, other people in front of you? Can you not worry about significance? And that's hard, because we're in careers, we're in jobs, we're single people pursuing people to to be noticed so that we may possibly be married, that we need to be noticed. I mean, I don't just go into a job and say, do you have a resume? Listen, I don't want to (laughs) brag, so I'm not going to tell you what I've done. Okay, well, you don't got a job, right? (laughs) Like, what is he talking about here is the posture that you have is the posture you have that you willingly put other people before yourself that you realize it's not about me. That's, that's what he's talking about. It, it, it's saying, it's saying in, the, in the greater good of people, in the greater good of the community, that when we have the life and love of Jesus in us, it's saying, you know what, we're together in this, and I'm not trying to one-up you. And that happens all the time within Christian circles. We try to one-up people. Oh, you read Leviticus? Hmm, huh. I read it twice. We want to one-up people, and Paul is saying, no, 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 that's not it at all. Um, consider other people's, other people's need as more significant than yourself. Let me just tell you, let me just talk a little bit about the significance, why it's a problem for Christians. Is that we follow Jesus, that's the essence of our religion, is we follow this man named Jesus, who was the son of God. Jesus, Jesus was the biggest reject. I mean, his own family is like, really, don't, don't say you're your God's son, and he's like, I am. His own friends turned his back on him. Jesus Jesus was hated so much that they murdered him, right? That's that's the one who we follow. So we follow. The biggest reject. And yet what we see within Christians is we're spending all of our times trying to find acceptance, and yet we say we're follower of Jesus. Jesus, who was a reject, who willingly was killed for it. We are killing ourselves tr- just for significance. To be known, to be seen. Human approval by far is the biggest idol. It's all of our idols. We do what we do for the most part. We become good at things because we want to be seen as good. We don't try things. We don't take risks because we don't want to be seen as people who can't. Because we want to be seen so much. And Jesus is saying, Follow me. Follow me. And this is the same same phrase Paul says do not not, uh, be haughty. Don't be prideful. Don't be arrogant. Don't think that you have it all figured out, but associate with the lowly. And hear me, when Paul's saying lowly, he's not saying associate with the people who are lower than you. No. What he's saying is no one's lower than you. That every single person, whether it's whether religious belief, background, um, whatever, politics, whatever, you're on the same page, all created in, in, in the image of God, and he says associate. And there's kind of two meanings there. One means realize that no one's below you and no one's above you. So so never be above anybody else. And the second meaning of that is never be below any task. Meaning there's nothing that you shouldn't be able to do. That when asked to do something, there there should be nothing you look at and go, that's not for me. You see these hands? These hands don't do that. That he's saying, no, no, no. Um, Don't think of yourself up here. Think of yourself with everybody else. And associate with people like that. And associate the task like that. What he's talking about is pursue obscurity. Like, that's something we don't talk about. We'll talk about humility. Pursuing obscurity means who cares, who gets the credit for what you do. What if you were able to do some things that you would never be noticed for? People wouldn't say, what a great job that was. Find those things and do as much of those things as possible. That's exactly what Jesus says. Jesus says, hey, when you pray, go to the closet and pray. Go, go, go find a prayer closet and get on your knees. And he says, what will be your reward? That people will see you? no. That people will say, man, what a passionate man of prayer. No, he says, I will be your reward. I will reward you. Your father will reward you in private. He says, don't, don't be the person play, praying in the public. You don't, you don't need to do that. And what does he say when it comes to parties? He says, Jesus says this, when you're going to throw a party, throw a party. It doesn't say don't. just says throw a party, right? But when you throw a party, don't, don't just invite the people that are your friends, your boys, your girls, your ladies, whatever, right? Invite those because they're going to pay you back. They are. He goes, you're gonna have a party, and they go, oh, that was a good, and that was a good one. Next one's on me. See you next week, right? She says, invite the people that you don't, that, that can't pay you back. Be with them, eat with them, and he goes, I'll tell you what your reward's gonna be. I'm gonna be your reward. He says again, I'm gonna be your reward. Jesus is constantly giving us opportunities to put our eyes off of ourselves, on others, and trust that He will be our reward, that He would be our treasure. And Paul is saying here, not just empathy, weeping and rejoicing, but understand we're together. And in being together, put the other person's needs and then serve with people. Serve with people. There's an opportunity um, that has come up around here that is amazing. I've been gone for the past six or seven days. I was gone in different places. And what I love when I come back is hearing all the stuff that's just happening in Redemption Tempe. And there's a lot of stuff that's happening in. One of the things that has been started is called the With Collective. And the With Collective is, is usually when people talk about doing ministry, they do ministry for people or they do ministry to people. And they're saying, no, we literally do ministry with and so what that means is the, first, the third Thursday of every month here on this campus, you have people from our city, um, people who are um, homeless and usually without resources, and then people from our church who get together, and then they eat with each other. And hear me, I didn't just say there's people from our congregation who makes food for homeless people. Didn't say that. There are people from the homeless community, people from Redemption Tempe, who get together the third Thursday of every month here, and they eat with one another. They share with one another. I am equal to you. Um, you don't need me. I I don't need you. We love each other. We're going to just share a meal together. It could be awkward, but I'm going to get to know you. You can get to know me. There's this with ministry. That's what Paul's talking about. Find something you can do that no one's going to be able to say, good job. And that's hard for some of us. It's hard for us. For me, my job is speaking in front of all of you. You guys are all looking at me. Close your eyes, right? I I can't, like, I can't, I can't uh, do my job without before people. Do you know what that means? If that's you and you find yourself that your industry that you're in, Find something you can do that, you, that no one will know. Do something in the name of Jesus for somebody else that they cannot thank you. Be anonymous. Be, don't, don't let anybody find you. Just, just do it and trust that Jesus will be your reward. Find your joy in that. I, I picked up a book this week that I've been reading, it and it's so good, and, and it's called, I think, Embracing Obscurity. And the subtitle is, is um, Becoming a Nobody in Light of God's Everything. And the author is anonymous. <laughs> and then my cynical side is, somebody got paid for this, right? Somebody, I, that 899 got routed somewhere, right? <laughs> Can I get that anonymous check back, right? Anonymous. And I just love that. I don't, I, don't, I don't want anybody to know. Paul is saying, do not be haughty. Do not be prideful. Do, do, don't, don't, don't consider your needs as the most important. Rejoice with those who rejoice. And the, the last thing Paul has here for us it's a very simple thing, but I think it's really a good reflection for us. In verse 16, he says, Never be wise in your own sight. So you, you emotionally give yourself to people and take your eyes off yourself and put them on others. And then you understand not to be prideful being together that you put other people's needs before yours. And then he just says this little kind of tag on like, Oh, yeah, don't be wise in your own sight. Now, Paul's not saying don't be wise, right? Here, be an idiot. That's not what he's saying, right? He's just saying, don't be wise in your own sight. That means you don't be the standard of what is wise. Don't think that you're the standard of what is right. Don't think you're the standard of anything. He says, "Just, just, just." this is having an understanding of who you are. Meaning, there are a lot of blessings that we are able to receive from God. And there are a lot of good things that we're able to receive. Those things should be tools and opportunities to bring back to worship to God. When we take those things, whether it be our intellect, um, whether it be experiences, and we think we've arrived, we've missed it. Let me just talk collectively about us as a church. And I think about this probably more than I should, is I know for a fact, right, um, that just by proximity to a major university, we probably are a more educated church than most churches in our country. Meaning there's most of you guys um, probably, we probably have more bachelor degrees and post-bachelor degrees and people in medical school and and law law school and, and school, school, stop, right? All of these schools, right? Than probably most other churches. And so with that, there's a, there, there comes a sense of I know more, which is fine. You have knowledge. That's really good. And then on top of that, we happen to be a church that prides ourselves on we preach through books of the Bible for the most part, and we're not going to hide anything, and whatever comes up in the scripture, we're going to teach it, and, and we're not going to try to showboat ourselves to you. We're not going to you know, trick you, and we're not going to have like shows, light shows, and smoke, and whatever, and you know, we're real, we're real. No, we don't have a lot of money, right? And so th- there's... There, 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 there's this sense there we're like, yeah, that's real. And then you, you add that with a bunch of other things, and, we're, and people, and like, you've heard me go on my rant about this. I won't again. When people say oh, we're called redemption, right? That's the cool church. We're just younger than most churches. Pretty soon they're going to be like, oh, the old church, right? At some point it happens. I see all that say that if we ever became to the point that we think that we're the standard, we've missed it. And I start thinking, as a church, how do we apply these verses, or can we? If Grace Church down the street just had revival, and every college kid and every person, every ethnicity, everything we've been trying to grow this church to be, it just happened overnight to them, would we rejoice? Or we would say, they ain't preaching the Bible, right? Would we rejoice in that? Um, is, Is that who we are collectively? Do we look at certain people in certain churches when they do certain things and go, oh, that's not the right way to do it because somehow we think that we are the right way to do it? If, if, if that's so, if that's in me and that's in us, then we need to repent. Because when Paul is saying here, don't be wise in your own sight, he's saying, you're not the standard. And, and hear me on this. and all of what we've been talking about, loving your enemy, showing one another a brotherly affection, outdoing and honor, having passion and zeal, being patient in tribulation, rejoicing with those who rejoice, weeping with those who weep, all of those things, you know, they're, they're list. And I always have this angst whenever I teach through lists that I don't ever want you to think that what God is saying is, here's the instructions, here's the ladder, why don't you climb up the ladder, and then you will be a good Christian. So, so, so understand this. One, the standard is not you, and it's not me, it's not redemption. We're not the standard. But on the other, other hand, the standard is not something that you can achieve, too. The scriptures, as beautiful as they are, are not the standard right you can read the bible all day long and still not get it and so it's not something that you are by nature I'm the standard or things that have been given to you in that way and it's not something you can achieve but over and over the scriptures the scriptures themselves point to the standard and the standard is Jesus and Jesus is the one who is the ultimate one who shows empathy Jesus is the ultimate one who shows obscurity he's the son of god and he moves into the most broken neighborhood around This is nothing good comes from this place. And Jesus is saying, that's where I want to go. He got the pick. He's God. That's where I want to go. That Jesus is the one who loves his enemy, he hangs on the cross for us. That Jesus is the one who shows empathy. He looks at his friends, Lazarus, and his friends weeping. And what does he do? He weeps, he puts on flesh. The standard is not something that we just become. The standard is not something that we can achieve. The standard is Jesus, and Jesus is not someone we become or someone we achieve. Listen to me. Jesus is someone we follow. Jesus is someone who has given us his life. That all Paul is calling us to as a congregation is to be followers of Christ collectively. It's called discipleship. That love in its essence is understanding the love of God in which he's given us and that we reflect that love towards God and our neighbor. That we take our eyes off ourselves and say, it's not about me, it's about others. And I can only do this as I walk with and follow Jesus who was in me by the Holy Spirit. Amen? that we collectively walk with him. He is our power and he is our strength. He is the standard and he's not saying, here's the standard, you better do this. He says, here's the standard, here's what I've done for you. Follow me in my power and in my strength by the Holy Spirit, amen? I wanna I want leave you with one illustration for what this looks like of us following Jesus in love. As we wrapped up this whole love series before we jump into Romans 13, I was um, um, with the, the ASU football team, I do chapel stuff with them, and the guys have to wear ties, and they, so they go to the games, and so these guys are coming out, and their ties are all jacked up, right, and I'm with this guy who's there, and he just makes this snarky comment, like, I wish these guys would learn how to tie a stinking tie, he used another word, but I won't use it, because I'm saved, and, uh, <laughs> and, and he said, I wish they learn." and I him like, and, so, and I, I was just bothered by this, you know why, because I never knew how to tie a tie, and I look at him, and I said, dude, how do you know how to tie a tie, and he goes, man, my whole life, man, my dad tied my tie for me until I figured it out myself and then I was able to tie my tie. I'm like, wow, that's amazing. I said, what if they never had dads to, to actually, you know, tie their ties for them? What if they weren't just as lazy as you think? And I said, let me just tell you the truth. I said, I've never l- learned how to tie a tie until recently. Um, I'd always have a friend of mine tie a tie and I'd leave that tie tied forever. <laughs> True story. Five years ago, I'm at a wedding and I thought the tie was already tied and I get them, like, oh no. And I'm about to do the wedding right? And I'm like, what am I going to do? And I'm in my office going, I got to get this tie tied. And I was thinking, I'm going to have to go to the groom and say, listen, I'm doing your wedding. You tie my tie, right? You can do this. And so I did what any godly person would do in that moment. I went on YouTube and, (laughs) and learned how to tie a tie, right? Like one way is to be able to look at the instructions and figure it out yourself. But even that, that's really hard. The best way is if somebody spent the time again and again and again showing you how to do it, to the point where you were able to do it for others. All we understand in the gospel, guys, is that God has loved us and is loving us and is doing it again and again and again to the point that it begins to just flow deep into the recesses of our lives. That discipleship becomes us now doing it for others. Us and Jesus weeping for others. Us and Jesus rejoicing for others. Us and Jesus serving with people. Us with Jesus realizing we're not the standard, but pointing the standard in Christ. Amen? Let's pray. God in heaven, we thank you for the love in which you've given us in Christ. We thank you, Lord, that you have given us the desire, the affections, the ability to even live out the instructions you've given us. For apart from your power and apart from your love and apart from your spirit, those instructions would just be daunting and crippling and they would crush us but in you, Lord, that give us opportunities to trust that you are a reward. I just pray, Lord, today, help me, help us, to be people who are constantly thinking about others. As we walk out today, Lord, to spend time saying hello, getting to know each other, moving on to the rest of our lives, Lord, thinking about the other. Help it filter into our lives at work, our lives at school, our relationship, our marriages. Lord, to care for the people around us and just we would remind ourselves that this is the same love and the way that you've loved us, that you would empower us. In Jesus' name, amen.